Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai, Navajit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Gangamaya Javuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga, all glories to Srila Prabhupada, Nama Om Vishnu Padai, Krishna Sai, Relation, Mati Bhakti Vedanta Swami, Tinamane, Namaste, Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Pachani, Nibhisesa, Sinyani, Paskatiade, Satani, Vandeham, Sri Guru, Sri Yuta, Padakamalam, Sri Guru, Vaishnavam, Sri Rupam, Sagrajatam, Sahagana, Raganatam, Vitam, Sam Sajivam, Sadvoitam, Sadvadutam, Parijana, Sahita, Krishna Chaitanya Deva, Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya it's June 27th, 2013, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii, on Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 7, The Son of Drona Punish, Text 20. Atopas Prishya Shalilam Sandare tat samahita Ajana napi samharam Prana kritra upastite Please chant. Atopas Prisha Salinam. Atopas Prisha Salinam. Sandhita Samahita. 
Upasrishya. Upasrishya. Touching in sanctity. Touching in sanctity. Shalilam. Shalilam. Water. Water. Sandade. Sandade. Chanting the hymns. Chanting the hymns. Tut. Tut. That. That. Samahita. Samahita. Being in concentration. Being in concentration. Ajanam. Ajanam. Without knowing. Without knowing. Api. Api. Although. Although. Samharam. Samharam. Withdrawal. Withdrawal. Prana Krishre. Prana Krishre. Life being put in danger. Life being put in danger. Upastite. Upastite. Being placed in such a position. Being placed in such a position. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. Since his life was in danger, he touched water in sanctity and concentrated upon the chanting of the hymns for throwing nuclear weapons, although he did not know how to withdraw such weapons. Purport. The subtle forms of material activities are finer than grosser methods of material manipulation. Such subtle forms of material activities are affected through purification of sound. The same method is adopted here by chanting hymns to act as nuclear weapons. Ato pasprishya shalilam sandare tatsamahita ajanam apisamharam pranakritra upastite. Since his life was in danger, he touched water in sanctity and concentrated upon the chanting of the hymns for throwing nuclear weapons, although he did not know how to withdraw such weapons. So here we have, because Pranakritra, because his life was in danger, Prabhupada says, necessity knows no law, in commenting on this verse, that as soon as we think our life is in danger, then we use our powers irresponsibly. And when we use our powers irresponsibly, 
then they will be taken away. Nowadays, the brahmanas, so Prabhupada's initiated, uh, Prabhupada, the Prabhupada's disciples, they've initiated devotees as brahmanas, but that doesn't mean we have these kind of powers. We can't just touch water and create a nuclear bomb. And nowadays, you want to create a nuclear bomb, you have to do it on the gross platform. We've lost these subtle powers because they were misused. So life is in danger, you know, when we think our life is in danger, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody's trying to kill you, but it can mean in some way you feel that you're threatened. Some way you feel that something very important in your life is threatened. And as soon as we feel that something important in our life is threatened, then all law is finished. We forget everything. Uh, whatever We just think whatever we want to do, it's okay. I mean, this is one reason why that in places in the world where people are, are poorer, that they tend to be more lawless because they're feeling threatened. Hmm? So in general, we can say that we abandon our good qualities or we misuse our facilities when we feel threatened. So as long as everything's peaceful, then we behave properly. And when we're threatened, then we do foolish things. This thing that Asvatam is about to do is going to bring nothing but misery to everyone. It's going to bring misery to the Pandavas and misery to himself, that he's going to become exiled and ostracized and cut off from everyone for a very long time. He's basically throwing away materially his connections and he's also throwing away I mean after all he's right there in the presence of Krishna and the pure devotees the Pandavas he's throwing away his spiritual opportunity just because he feels threatened just because he feels my life is in danger instead of misusing his powers if he had chosen to surrender to Krishna and surrender to the Pandavas they would have accepted him so he had to suffer in so much anxiety and, and guilt and shame for so long. I mean, eventually he actually became a great rishi much later on. But for such a long time he had to suffer. So in our lives also, we do many foolish things when we feel threatened. And it's, it's interesting that, it, that for most of us in this Kali Yuga, it doesn't take a very high level of threat for us to do something that's foolish. It's not that somebody has to be coming at us with a gun or our house has to be on fire before we decide, all right, necessity has no law. Now I can do whatever I want. But even within the family, you know, if some family member says something to us and we feel our relationship and our love with that with our family, our security in the family is threatened, uh, then we'll do and say so many things that later on we regret in our normal business dealings in the world, dealing with money. You know, as soon as somebody's afraid, oh, I'm not going to have enough money to live, they'll immediately lie and cheat. When I was in the university, in graduate school, our professor made all of us, in, in one of our classes on leadership, read this book called The Cheating Culture. And it was about American culture. It's interesting because... 
relative to American culture, there are many cultures in the world where cheating is far more open and endemic. When I was visiting one particular country many years ago, the devotees told me that they had to budget for bribes to the police because they said they knew that at least twice a week on their way to or from work, a police officer would stop them even though they had not committed any infraction of the law and they would have to bribe the police and this was just part of life. So there's many places in the world where corruption and cheating is so much a part of the culture that people hardly even recognize it as corruption and cheating anymore. But this book was about America, which is uh, relatively speaking, relatively speaking, not like that. But it was pointing out how in every area of life, in academics, in sports, uh, of course, in politics, business, that there's just wide-scale cheating in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, the, the people who are making medicines. <laughs> they're making medicines and they're cheating. They're, we call it fudging the data to make it look like their medicine cures something that it doesn't actually cure. And therefore they can sell these and make so much money. So why are people doing this? Because they feel some threat. They're feeling, if I don't make all this money, then I'm not going to have a nice life. Now again, it doesn't take that somebody's standing in front of you with a gun, because somebody will say, well, isn't it true that actually if you're threatened, then you can break the law? Well, oh, well, maybe, but that's not the kind of threats that induce us to break the law. And I'm not just talking about the laws that are designed by the legislatures of a particular country. I'm talking about the laws of the universe. And especially in this Kali Yuga, it really doesn't take very much it says that in Kali Yuga people fight not because, not, they're not fighting over the issue, but they're fighting just because Kali induces people to fight. And we see this. Again, we see it even, the Shastras is saying, even between husband and wife. You know, even between parents and children. Between students and teachers. We see it everywhere. That, that people will stop engaging in moral activities if they feel even some slight threat or some possibility of a threat or, you know, I just won't get as much enjoyment as I would like. I'll have to lower my standard of living a little bit. All right, better that I cheat. And there's different kinds of cheating. Uh, here, the particular kind of cheating being done is using powers that he didn't have completely, using a power that he wasn't fully expert in, that he couldn't fully control, unleashing a force that he couldn't really control. And another kind of cheating was using powers that he did have in a way to harm others. So there's two kinds of cheating going on here. So what does the Shastra tell us about how we should deal with threats and how we should deal with the, the powers that we have? So we know that those in the mode of ignorance, they are willing to use their powers without considering what the consequences that will be. And they're also willing to use powers in an immature stage. And those in the mode of ignorance are very impatient. 
they want sense gratification now and at any cost. Uh, they don't mind creating havoc for themselves and for others. So as soon as they have even half of, a, of an ability, they'll immediately use it and they'll use it in a harmful way without considering what the results will be. Of course, even people in the mode of ignorance, when they actually get the result, then they're lamenting. Prabhupada says the definition of a shudra is that like lament. Shudra means mode of ignorance. So although people in the mode of ignorance use their powers, even half-baked powers, without considering the consequences, when the consequence comes, then they lament. And they blame God, they blame others. So this is the general behavior of someone in the mode of ignorance. As soon as I have anything, any part of something, I don't care whether I really understand what I have. And I just use it to get some immediate benefit without considering long-term consequences when the long-term consequences or sometimes very short-term consequences come, then I become angry and blame others. So this is, we call it attack and blame. Attack, blame, and, and defend. Attack, blame, defend. Attack, blame, defend. And this is very, very common in the Kali Yuga. Again, you just see even among friends, even among family, even among co-workers in a business, at least on the verbal level, people use whatever knowledge and whatever verbal skills they have to attack and blame and defend, attack, blame and defend, attack, blame and defend. It goes on even in the society of devotees. Attack, defend, attack, defend, attack, defend. So those in the mode of passion are a little bit better than this. Those in the mode of passion, they have some sense of dharma. In mode of ignorance, it's all a dharma. In mode of passion, it's at least mundane dharma. So in the mode of passion, they think about the consequences. People think about what will be the result of my using my abilities. Although still in the mode of passion, if a person feels threatened enough, then they may abandon their dharma. It depends how developed they are, because the modes of nature are a continuum. It's not that you're either fully in passion or fully not in passion. So the more it's mixed with ignorance, the faster a person will be to defend themselves and to attack and to use their powers wrongly. And the closer they are to goodness, the less they'll be likely to do something like that. I mean, we have example of in the Bhagavatam of Jarasandar. So Jarasandar was a Ksatriya. Ksatriya means mode of passion. And he had some sense of dharma. He had some sense of thinking about the future. I mean, the way Krishna induced him to fight was by saying, you know, if, if you give up your life for a righteous cause, then you'll be famous forever. And that was very attractive to Jarasandar, to think of something for the future. So he was thinking about the future, but he was still misusing his powers. He was still thinking, how am I going to protect myself? And therefore he kidnapped all of these kings that he was thinking to offer in sacrifice. So you can see sort of a mix in a person like that. You know, a little lower level was Kamsa, who wasn't willing to uh, kill Devaki when she was pregnant, but he was willing to kill the newborn babies. 
it was interesting, you know, when he realized that she was pregnant with the Lord, he said, well, if I kill her now, it will hurt my reputation. <laughs> Nobody will respect me. So even he had some line that he wouldn't cross. But the higher you go in the mode of passion, the more one will consider like this. What, what should I do? How can I use my powers for something good? I was just reading, and Prabhupada was saying how people in the mode of passion, they're generally engaged in charitable, charitable work and, and altruistic work. So those in the mode of goodness become very tolerant. Because in passion and ignorance, the problem is that you're not very tolerant, and you're thinking, I'm the doer. Whatever is happening to me, I'm the one who can counteract it, and I'm the one who can plan the scope of my life to be exactly what it's what I want it to be. I am perfect, powerful, and happy. You know, I, I'm going to kill my enemies by whatever means possible. In the mode of ignorance, not thinking at all about the consequence, in the mode of passion, uh, considering the consequence, but considering the consequence in a very materialistic way. In the mode of goodness, one is absorbed in Brahman. One is absorbed in thinking that everything is ultimately spiritual, sarvakalamidam Brahman. One is interested in purification and in liberation, and therefore one in the mode of goodness is very tolerant. One in the mode of goodness is not thinking, uh, let me just do anything to defend myself. One wants to be completely in harmony with universal laws. But even one in the mode of goodness is ultimately thinking about themselves and their own liberation. And therefore we find that people nowadays who'd really try to be in the mode of goodness, a, a lot of the new age, what we call new age stuff, is people really trying to be in the mode of goodness. Let me be forgiving, let me see everyone equally, and so forth and so on. But we find that if you try to be in the mode of goodness just on the level of Brahman, without coming to the level of Bhagavan, that even that, it, it's not total. It's not absolute. Because you're still focused on myself. I may be focused in the mode of goodness on myself as one with Brahman. But still, if my attempts at purification are interfered with, then I may also use my powers wrongly. In fact, we could say Asvatama, although here he's acting in the mode of ignorance, that he's a Brahmana. I mean, he has these powers. He's able to enter into Samadhi. He's able to enter into Samadhi. And he's able to manipulate in a subtle way the gross elements just by touching water. So Prabhupada, in giving a lecture on this verse, several times mentions the mantra we chant Om Ba Pavitra Pavitra Vasarastaham Gatopi Vayat Smarat Pandurik Tiksham Yabayan Yantara Suchi Sri Vishnu Sri Vishnu Sri Vishnu that we say before Yagya while touching water. And Prabhupada says that these mantras, they're not just some ritual. They're not something childish or primitive. But they have power if chanted properly. They have power if chanted properly. And Prabhupada refers to the samahitaha. To enter into samadhi, to enter into chants. Prabhupada, the one lecture Prabhupada gave on this verse, he goes into a long explanation of the power of the Hare Krishna mantra and said that if you chant the Hare Krishna mantra even one time with proper concentration, then you become liberated. 
said, if you chant without proper concentration, without the proper procedure, he said, it will be effective, but it will take a long time. Anyway, so this Asvatama, even though here he's acting in the mode of ignorance, as a Brahmana, he had some knowledge of Brahman, and he had some knowledge of the subtle and gross aspects of the material nature. But we see that even such a Brahmana, that when he felt threatened enough, that he didn't act on that platform. Because we say even the mode of goodness, one is still selfish. So how does Krishna say that we should act? I mean, it's quite interesting. So if we look at the, at the 12th chapter, verses 13 through 20, and the Acharyas have explained that these qualities are the bridge from Vaidhi Bhakti to Raganuga Bhakti. And these are the qualities by which one can find peace. So we're not going to read all of them, but Krishna says that one who is equal in both happiness and distress. He says it actually several times. So what does that mean in this context? It means that no matter how distressed I am, I don't misuse my abilities. I don't misuse my powers to harm others without or, and to harm myself. And Krishna says also here, he for whom no one is put into difficulty and who is not disturbed by anyone. And again, equal poise and happiness and distress. So those who are connected with Bhagavan, they don't want to put anybody else into difficulty just because they're in difficulty. Not that, oh, now I'm in difficulty, so that justifies putting you into more difficulty to save myself. No, the devotees who are in touch with Bhagavan, they're thinking, why should I put anybody else into difficulty? Rather, let me be in difficulty. And as Krishna says, who's not disturbed by anyone. Equal to friends and enemies. Prabhupada comments that one that thinks... If someone's my enemy, this is due to my own past activities. It's due to the will of the Lord. Let me just tolerate. Let me not attack them back. Okay. Now this is Krishna's main focus here. He says, always satisfied with anything. So this is the view of one who is entering into transcendence. It's interesting that these qualities in the 12th chapter, these are not qualities of one who's already completely a pure devotee. These are qualities of one who has performed Vaidhi Bhakti properly with concentration of the mind and who is therefore able to go to the next stage of Raghunuga Bhakti. That's what these are qualities of. And these are achieved by thinking, how do I please Krishna? rather than, how do I protect myself? Let me please Krishna, and let Krishna protect me, or kill me as he desires. Sampade vipade jivane magne. If you want to kill me, you kill me. You want to protect me, you protect me. You want to give me happiness, you want to give me distress, whatever you want to give me. Let me just try to please you. So everyone else, whether they're in the modes of goodness, passion, ignorance, whether they're karmis, ganis, or yogis, they're ultimately thinking, I need to protect myself. I need to take care of myself. I need to work for my own pleasure. And thus they become embarrassed and shamed. I mean, Asvatama really regretted that he did this. You know, he did it kind of impulsively. But he regretted it for a long, long time. 
so better to act in such a way to develop the sort of consciousness where we're not going to be lamenting in shame and embarrassment and grief. And it's, it's not that difficult to do this if we're in touch with Bhagavan, if we're in touch with Krishna. If we're not in touch with Krishna, it's extremely difficult. Somebody under the modes of material nature, uh, no matter how hard they try, like Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita about those who want to understand the self. And he says, you know, no matter how hard a person tries, if they're a materialist, they're not going to understand their self. So no matter how hard a person tries to give up blame and, and defending and attacking and defending and blaming and defending, they won't be able to give it up completely. I was staying with a family some time ago where I noticed the husband and wife were constantly blaming each other and defending themselves as they were doing it all, all every minute practically they were with each other anything that went wrong they would immediately blame each other and then they would defend themselves and after a few days of this I said you know why don't you try giving up this blaming and defending so it was interesting I think that it went way down you know once they become con- became conscious of what they were doing so it greatly decreased but they weren't able to stop completely they weren't able to come to this point of uh, just equal to friends and enemies, tolerant, equal poise and happiness and distress, honor and dishonor. They weren't able to do that. Because as long as one still has this false ego, we can't do that. As long as one's thinking, false ego means I'm separate from Krishna and I'm my own protector. I have to, my happiness is things in the world that I have to find by my own endeavor and so forth. And therefore one, one has to see in terms of friends and enemies and one has to think about defending themselves and protecting themselves even at the cost of harming others. You can't stop it. But as soon as one thinks, Jivarasvarupaya Krishnaranichidasa, just like the other day when one senior Vaishnava uh, was, was, I think he was joking with me, he said, Arila, you know, would you like some uh, Rasika initiation? <laughs> and I said, no, what is the need? So we know I am a servant of Krishna. I am a servant of Krishna. And if I know I'm a servant of Krishna, I'm a servant of, of Srila Prabhupada, I'm a servant of the Vaishnavas, then I trust that they're going to take care of the uh, defending business. They're going to take it. Very simple. It's, it's not a complicated thing, and it doesn't require some very high level of advancement. Rather, it brings one to a high level of advancement. If one says, well, I'm still going to attack and blame and, and defend because I'm not advanced, then how will one become advanced? It will take a very long time. But if one says, I'm, I'm going to give up this business, I mean, of course, if someone is trying to kill us, we have the right to defend ourselves and, and even hurt the other person. But we see someone like Maharaj Ambarish, where when Durvasamuni was attacking him and trying to kill him, he did not try to defend himself. Of course, had he been on the battlefield and been facing another Ksatriya, he certainly would have defended himself and tried to kill the other Ksatriya. But he was thinking, this man is a Brahmana and he's my guest. Why should I harm him in return? Even Arjuna was thinking like this on the battlefield. He said, although they are avaricious, why should we attack them? Let them try to attack us. They're not aware of the sin they will get. And the only reason Arjuna fought was because Krishna says, no, this will please me to fight. Krishna says, you fight 
not because you need to defend yourself, not because you're worried that these people are taking away your happiness in life, not on the level of Asvatthama, but you fight simply as a servant with detachment for victory or defeat, for gain and safety, for honor and dishonor. You're not fighting for any of those things. You're fighting for Krishna's pleasure. So generally, the devotee is just thinking, let me serve Krishna and let Krishna deal with my so-called friends and enemies, however he wants to deal with them. If Krishna is going to exalt my enemies and put me in the street, then I accept. And if Krishna is going to put my enemies in the street and exalt me, I accept, because no one's really my friend or enemy. That's how the devotee's feeling. And if Krishna wants me to fight for his service and look to the world as if I'm fighting in the friends and enemies, then I will do that also without concern about what is the result. So that is the mood of a devotee. And when the devotee acts like that, interestingly enough, when we choose to act like that, then what happens is not only do we keep our opulences, but they increase. Because when you use your power properly, you get to keep it and you get more. When you use your powers improperly, so here this Asvatthama, as I said, he used a power, he wasn't even mature, and he wasn't, he wasn't ready. Like taking something out of the oven when it's, it's half raw. <laughs> you know, he wasn't ready. And then he used it improperly against the law. But if you use things in a mature way and you use them for the good of yourself and others, then why shouldn't one keep one's abilities and have even more abilities? So if the world is like that, if the world is such that people are acting for the pleasure of God, not thinking, you know, let me use whatever abilities I have to defend myself and harm others, then the whole world becomes opulent. Then you have a society like is described in the Shastra, where people did have great powers. The Brahmanists had such power that they could, just by touching water and entering into samadhi, they could create a nuclear bomb. The Kshatriyas had power to fight with 10,000 elephants. Now the Vaishyas had the power to bring great wealth from the earth without harming the earth. The Shudras had great powers to have wonderful skills and crafts. Sadaputabhu wrote about how in former times there were robots that practically speaking looked like they were human beings. So even the Shudras had such powers of technology and craftsmanship. Why? Because if everything is done for Krishna and not for my false ego, then we will get even material prosperity. What you speak of spiritual and ultimately, what one gets when one acts in this way is one's full spiritual wealth of love of God and living in the world, Kalpa Riksha Laksha where anything one desires, one immediately gets. Why? Because everything that one gets, one uses for the good. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Alright, I've unmuted everybody. Uh, if anyone has a question or comment, 
Marshall, if no one else has a question. Um, welcome back, Mother Ermelot. Thank Great you. to have you back in our association. Um, so you talked a lot about um, when we become threatened, the, the tendency is so often there to do something very foolish and very destructive. But can't also threats be something very positive in our spiritual life? It's like Krishna told Arjuna, you know, Janmam Ritchi Dukadoshana Darshanam. We should see the you know the the, the threat of of death, disease, old age that's coming to us if we don't take shelter of Krishna. It seems that, that, that threats can often, by seeing the, the, the dangers of this world, the threats are all around us. It, it can really, if we do it right, cause us to take shelter of Christian's lotus feet. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, on, on a uh, beginning level without knowing any of the Shastra, how does one know what Krishna wants? Without knowing the Shastra, it's almost impossible to know what Krishna wants. Therefore, one has to have a guru who teaches you the Shastra. And, and every, what if one doesn't have, have every, a guru? There, every human society has Shastra. And the basic message of what Krishna wants is there in every Shastra. I mean, if you want to know what Krishna wants, just open up Bhagavad Gita and read chapter 12, 13 through 20. Krishna says, such a person is dear to me, such a person is dear to me, such a person is dear to me, such a person is dear to me. I can't understand you. Okay, we'll try it this way. So, if you want to know what Krishna wants, you just, you have to read the Shastra. There's no other way. And you read Bhagavad Gita, chapter 12, text 13 through 20, and you read, this is what Krishna wants. This is what Krishna wants. He said, such a person is dear to me. Such a person is dear to me. He tells you just flat out what he wants. And it's not that this instruction is only in Bhagavad Gita. It's in the Bible where Jesus says, you know, love your enemies, do good to those who curse you, don't worry about where you're going to get your clothing. It's the same thing. If you read the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible and you read Bhagavad Gita 12, 13, 20, it's, it's essentially the same thing. So in, in every society of the world, there is scripture. And by reading the scripture, anyone can understand what does God want. It's not, uh, Krishna's not going to make it very complicated. Just like the government makes the laws available to the citizens. It's not that the government makes the laws and then hides them from the citizens, so the citizens don't know what the law is, and so they can just, you know, pounce on you and arrest you. The government makes the law open, so Krishna makes his, his laws open. What does he want? Scripture to read because it's pretty overwhelming. You know, there's there's just so many books, and for somebody like me who doesn't read well, um, 
you know, I don't have a lot of time to find out what Krishna wants, but now I know where to find it. Oh, very good. So I would say, you know, there's only, the other place is in 1868 to 69, where Krishna, in Bhagavad Gita. So that's uh, nine verses. So even if you don't read very much, it's nine verses. It's only one and a half screens on a smartphone. And you, chapter, verses 13 to, thir- to 20. And chapter 18, text 68 to 69. Okay, so that, that's, that's nine verses, and you can easily just, you know, put it on your, your phone or put it on a little piece of paper and read through it every day. And this is Krishna saying very clearly, this is what I want. This is the, a person who behaves this way is very dear to me. Since it's so so few verses, uh, you could just add 8 to 12 in chapter 12. If you can't do this, do this. If you can't do this, do this. Those are useful. Well, certainly, and then, I mean, there's a lot of other places, um, you know, you could think about the process of knowledge in chapter 13, or the divine qualities in chapter 16. I mean, what I really like about the verses that I noted is specifically Krishna saying, such a person is dear to me. So if we're going to say, how do I please Krishna? What specifically do I do to please Krishna? So he's, he's using these, these words. Priyas, Priyat, that some of this person is dear to me. And, and I'm not saying by any means that this is the only place where you could find it, but it's a... Uh, thank you, thank you for adding that. Anything else? Uh, yes, Mother Irma, I have a question. Um, I thought it was a wonderful class. Very nice. Um, I... One question I have is that uh, I find for myself, anyway, if it's true, that uh, I, I don't think I have a real problem blaming others or criticizing others so much. But uh, as far as being on the end of criticism, you know, like being blamed, um, I don't know how to deal with it. My, uh, it's almost uncontrollable for me that I feel like I need to defend myself. Any advice? Well, it's now 7.14 in the morning. This is just one day of your life. So if you don't defend yourself for this one day, probably nothing terrible will happen. So you can make an experiment, and you can say, Today, Krishna, please help me that I will not say any say or do anything to defend myself unless unless some harm will come to others by not defending myself. So some, sometimes we may be in a situation where uh, someone else will be harmed, but that's very unusual. And Krishna, I'm going to trust you to defend me. 
and try it for one day. I mean, Bhakti Vinodakura suggests three days, but you could try even for one day, or you could try for three days. Uh, just take a vow and say, I'm not going to defend myself for the, for, for the rest of the day or for the next three days and see how you feel. See what it, experiment. This is directly experienced. You know, make an experiment. And if you make an experiment doing something that will please Krishna, he helps. <laughs> because that's what he wants you to do. So as soon as you're doing something that he wants you to do, I mean, he'll help you even do things that he don't doesn't want you to do, because you can't, we can't do anything without his help. But as soon as we do something that he desires that we do, then he'll help. And even if you don't do it completely, you'll become much more aware of what you're doing. I mean, I found it interesting with this family I was staying with, it just simply bringing it to their attention, it, it went way down, even though they didn't stop completely. But what to speak of if you're chanting 16 rounds, three Gayatris a day, reading Prabhupada's books, doing service. You know, it's just just making a determination to do it. And then see how you feel. See what happens. See what, see what the result is in your life. And then if you like the result, do it more. And, and say, I'm going to do it for a week, or I'm going to do it for two weeks. And, you may need something to remind yourself every morning, you know, that I'm going to let Krishna take care of me and Krishna protect me and I don't need to defend myself, even if people think that I'm a demon. I'll let Krishna take care of that, even if people think that I'm at fault. You know, I don't, I don't have to worry that I'm going to lose my money or I'm going to lose my loving relationships or, you know... I mean, it, it's it's just it's quite an interesting thing to do, you know. Like if if somebody writes you a letter and says, "Oh, you did this and that," and, and you you don't have to respond at all. You can just ignore it, or you can just say, "Thank you for bringing this to my attention." It's not that you have to say you're guilty when you're not, but you don't have to respond at all, or just oh, thank you for letting me know how you feel. I have a question. Yes. Attack, blame, and defend. Where does that come from? Meaning, uh, where did the source of that? The source of it meaning what? What do you mean? mean, Why do we do it? No, no. Uh, Is there a Shastric reference for that, or is this something you Well, this is the, it's attachment, fear, and anger that Krishna talks about a lot in the Bhagavad Gita. You know, that out of, a, out of attachment to things, I become afraid. And out of afraid, then I, I become angry. It's a dresha. The We lost your voice again. Oh, sorry. Um, one place is the attachment, fear, and anger that Krishna mentions many times in the Bhagavad Gita. And the it's a dresha, the uh, attachment and aversion. And Krishna talks about this, of course, in the 16th chapter with the demons, how they're constantly, you know, there's some, there's some enemy and I've killed him and I'll kill my other enemy and I'm perfect and I make my plans and I'm wonderful and so forth. And of course, it's in today's verse. This is exactly what's happening in today's verse. That Asvatama is 
blaming the Pandavas, and not verbally, but he's considering that they're the ones who are responsible. Instead of seeing that he's the one who's responsible, he's the one who's got himself in this mess. And so he's attacking them, and he's uh, attacking them and trying to defend himself. I mean, here, literally with weapons rather than with words. Uh, another Shastric example is the one I gave of Ambarish and Durvasa, which is quite interesting, where if you read what Durvasa says, there Durvasa was blaming and attacking not only with weapons as Asvatama is doing, and it's another interesting example because Durvasa is also a Brahmana, like Asvatama, who was misusing his powers, like Asvatama, against a devotee, like Asvatama. But there Durvasa added verbal to the mix. So here Asvatama is silent, whereas Durvasa Muni goes through a series of verses where he criticizes Maharaj Ambarish. And let's see, I can, I can bring that up probably very quickly here. I have it on my computer. And what's really interesting is that what he's saying about Ambarish all applies to himself. So this is uh, no, no. You're supposed to do that. Um, I actually, when I like when I teach students, say I'm teaching bhakti shastra or whatever, I always tell them that they should ask for shastra. So please do that. Um, here it is. It's in. It's oh yeah. You have to do that. So here it's in uh, Bhagavatam nine four forty three to forty five. So there's three verses where uh, Jirvasamuni says, well, actually, it's really just 44 and 45. He says, alas, just see the behavior of this cruel man. This is what he's saying to Ambarish. He is not a devotee of Lord Vishnu. Being proud of his material opulence and his position, he considers himself God. Just see how he has transgressed the laws of religion. But all those things are actually true of Jirvasa. You know, so he's, he's blaming Ambarish. He's thinking... He's thinking that Ambarish has interfered with his respect, is what he's thinking. He's thinking, Ambarish, by drinking a little water first, now he's not giving me the respect that I need. And if I don't get the respect that I need, how am I going to live? So his response is to blame Ambarish. And he says, you have invited me to eat as a guest, but instead of feeding me, you yourself have eaten first. Because of your misbehavior, I shall show you something to punish you. So he's, he's blaming Ambarish for the situation, and he's defending himself in, in, in words, and then, of course, he defends himself with a weapon. And the result of that is that he loses the grace of God also. You know, he, he, has, to, he has to rectify himself. So there's many, I'm sure I could think of many more as well. Um, Hiranyakashipu and Prahlad, of course, is another example where Hiranyakashipu is blaming Prahlad, you know, and, and criticizing Prahlad and defending himself and saying, well, well, I have to kill my son because you have to amputate a, a diseased limb. You know, I haven't done anything wrong. Or, or there's um, Jarasundar in talking about Krishna killing Kamsa, where, again, he defends his own position of attacking Krishna and he blames Krishna, with, and he doesn't blame Kamsa. He doesn't have any criticism of Kamsa. Anyway, I'm sure there's many more examples.
evident that, that um, I remember Shoshirama, she had an expression, I take my stand on spiritual common sense. Hmm. And if, if there's something stands, I mean, certain things are, it's clear that they go together. I've never heard that before, and, and they definitely go together. Attack, blame, defend. That's great. I, I really like it. Well, thank you. I, there's too much demonizing others, you know, there's too much of that going on. Friends and enemies, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about that. I mean, is this, this is just a mixture of the modes, the lower modes? Yes, basically. It's, it's basically seeing the world in terms of friends and enemies, which that view of, of existence only happens in the modes of passion and ignorance. Someone in the mode of goodness, Vijayavanaya Sampane Brahmani Once you start getting into Sattvagun, you, relatively speaking, stop seeing like that. Depends on how much you're in Sattvagun. Until you're in Shuddha Sattva, you can't stop seeing like that entirely. But the lower modes, yes, they, they color one's view, and you see everything in terms of friends and enemies. What's amazing is that you'll even see your friend as an enemy if they say or do something that feels even slightly threatening. I mean, that, that's what's amazing. You know, so even your, your best friend, your, you know, your parents, your, just like Kamsa, who Kamsa saw his father as an enemy. Kamsa saw his, his cousin's sister as an enemy. Because, you know, there's, there's some slight possibility of some threat. I mean, actually, had Kamsa been a good son, then Ugrasena would have given him power. He could have had power legitimately. But because he's thinking like that, seeing the world in terms of friends and enemies. Yes, and, and there's a Prabhupada writes in description of autumn in the Krishna book that for the materialist, everything is very aggressive. But for the devotee, everything seems very happily situated. So when one's in the lower modes, see, actually, no one's really attacking us at all. It, it's, it's completely illusion. But we're thinking like that. Well, I'm being attacked, I'm being blamed, I'm being criticized. You know, as I said, as I said, I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, there is a lot of criticism. You know, I mean, it's all over the internet. I mean, it's just annoying. Uh, <laughs> there's so much of it. You know, uh, people attacking other people. Um, And the ultimate expression of that, of course, is actually war and the use of weapons. It can escalate to that point. Sure, yes. Go ahead. Hare Krishna, Mataji. Hare Krishna. Um, like Vidagda was saying about the quarreling, I mean, it's not not only within the Internet or the devotional community. Um, I work in the workaday world, and it's... Um, a pretty hellish condition and um, people seem to want to feel better about themselves so therefore they choose somebody usually somebody that's a little kinder they see kindness 
as being weak, and then they attack. They'll criticize or what, whatever, because they need somebody to talk about. So I find, I find that if you don't engage, you just don't engage. You don't engage in it, and um, it's okay. Yeah, you just simply you stay aloof. Okay, thank you very much. All glories to Shilpa Prabhupada. Haribo.